This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. I'm a Christian first, and I said, yeah, what do you want to pass through church? And then later on, the last, if I, if I have time, I said, yeah, I was a police officer. And when I was working with my coworkers, they, you know, they say, oh, yeah, so you're a pastor. They know I was a pastor. That was the first thing. It didn't, the job didn't define who I was. The fact of who I am in Christ, that defines who I am. I'm a Christian. And so, too, I would say the same with you, whatever your trade is, whatever is your profession, whatever is your career. Your life is in Christ, and Christ is in you, not your job. Do you find yourself defining who you are through a job that you do? Do you define your job as the kind of life you live? Within the world of labels, degrees, and titles, this is an easy trap to fall into. In today's message, we hear from Pastor Eddie on how to properly define our lives. Jobs and the titles we have do not define us. It's our relationship with Christ that defines us. Our jobs may come and go, but our identity in Christ is eternal. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie for today's edition of Running the Race. Romans chapter 11, verse 13 to verse 24. Paul writes, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if they're being cast away, reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the fruit is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became partakers of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, how may he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also may be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature and was grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches, be grafted in their own olive tree. In our last study, we looked at Israel. God's chosen people, 
God's chosen people who refuse God's chosen Messiah, Jesus Christ. God has given them a spirit of stupor. Now, for the, we have new faces here, just quickly. The book of Romans has been written by Paul the Apostle, and he inserts in, in chapter 9, 10, 11, the dealing with the nation of Israel. And so we're still uh, in this section where Paul is writing about the nation of Israel. It's very important for us as Christian believers today. And so at this time, the, the Lord has given them a spirit of stupor. We see in verse 8 of chapter 11, by way of review, you can look up to verse 8. It says, just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And God has given them a spirit of stupor and that they have lost the ability to see and to hear God's way of salvation in Christ. And why is that? Because God over and over again had revealed that Christ, Jesus Christ, is the promised Messiah. Who he fulfilled all 300 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. But they refused to listen. And so because they uh, refuse to see that Jesus is the Messiah, God has closed Israel's eyes. And so this very day, they're spiritually blinded. And because Israel would not hear the pleading voice of God, they have now lost the ability to hear. God has closed uh, their ears. Uh, and this very day, they're spiritually deaf. And so God has given them a spirit of stupor as judgment for their unbelief. God does the very same thing with Gentiles. There come a time when God will continue to open the doors, continue to reveal that Jesus Christ is the only way. And there come a time when the Lord will say, okay, I'm going to confirm you in your decision as he did with Pharaoh. You remember Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Why did Pharaoh harden his heart? Uh, he didn't believe in God. And so God said, it says in scripture that God hardened his heart. But first, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And so even after all the plagues, he still refused to let God's people go. And so there is a time that's just the, the, the reality is that no matter what God can do and no matter what, how often we as believers share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that people would not accept, they would not be receptive, they would not hear. They don't want, they hear, they know there's a Jesus, but refuse to follow Jesus and make him Messiah. So the same with Israel. And so it is not to say, oh, God has done that to Israel. And we, yeah, we're okay. We're going to get to that part. So hopefully you don't have that heart. And so God has given them a spirit of stupor and as a judgment for their unbelief. In verse 11, Paul asked the question then. He said, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? In other words, have they stumbled to the point where beyond recovery is done with Israel? Uh, many people believe that. And it's sad to say that they don't study the scriptures. They don't study prophecies. They get into what is called replacement theology, thinking that the church is in place of Christ. But he answers, certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Because, because now the Gentiles has their Messiah. They're jealous. And some have come to, back to Christ and accepted Christ. Not back. Some have accepted Christ as the Messiah. And so um, God has provoked them to jealousy. Now let us continue as we look at verse 3 of our study this morning. I mean verse 13. I'm sorry. Verse 13. He says, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. And if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh 
and save some of them. The word apostle in the Greek is apostolos. It is mentioned 81 times in the New Testament. And it means a person who has been sent out, a messenger, an envoy. And so here, Paul is saying that he's an apostle. He was one that was sent out. Sent out by who? Sent out, not by himself. Not sent out by any man, by any other religion. He was sent out by Jesus Christ himself on his road to Damascus. Paul the apostle had surrendered his life. At that time, his name was Saul of Tarsus. And he surrendered his life on the road to Damascus. And there, when he, when, he, when he saw the Lord, he said to the Lord, Lord, what do you have me to do? What do you want me to do? I think that's the greatest question anyone can ask Jesus, especially when you come to know the Lord. I wish I, that would have been the first thing out of my mouth when I accepted the Lord. What do you want me to do? This was the heart of Paul. And the Lord tells him, if you see the story, read it for yourself at home in Acts chapter 9. The Lord sends him out. He sends him out. He says, go into the city. Go into Damascus as you were going. And then later on, he, the Lord called him Ananias. Not Ananias, the one that you know, died a couple, in chapters 2 and 3. Uh, but uh, this Ananias was called of God. Laid hands on him. His eye, he, re, he regained his sight. And the Lord said, go and, and, and be a disciple to the Gentiles, to the kings, and to all Jerusalem. But Paul here is an apostle to the Gentiles. He could have said, I'm just an apostle. But he clearly makes it his point that he's an apostle to the Gentiles. He took pride in his ministry to be an apostle to the Gentiles. That's why he says, I magnify my ministry. He's not exalting himself. He's exalting the ministry. And I know today we have people that love to you know, have titles and they're big on titles. But he's not magnifying his title. He's not magnifying himself. He's magnifying the ministry. He said, I magnify my ministry. And in, and in the Greek, to magnify is to recognize it with praise, to glorify it. In other words, what do we use? When we want to see something small, what do we use? We use a magnifying glass it's to make it larger. I want you to see this. I want you to understand that it is not Paul. It is the ministry to the Gentiles. And though Paul, Paul we've seen and we find, and he mentions himself, even of himself, of his past life of being a Pharisee. We see in the book of Acts, he was a tent maker by trade. And Paul never identified himself as, as a Pharisee or as a tent maker. But as an apostle, he identified and he magnified his ministry as an apostle. Here we see magnify himself as an apostle to the Gentiles. Yes, he was a Pharisee. And yes, he was a tent maker. But those things did not define who Paul was. It was in his life. It was a part of his life, but it wasn't his life. And so Paul never say, I, Paul. He opens his letters, whether he opens up his letters with, I, Paul, an apostle. He never say, I, Paul, once a Pharisee. I, Paul, a tent maker. I, Paul, of Tarsus. No, he said, I, Paul. And he says, an apostle. He magnified his ministry. I could give you an example of myself in my own life. When I was a police officer in, in New York City, you know, that was my job. That was my career. However, it was not my life. It was never my life. It was my career. It was my job. People will say, oh, well, uh, you're a police officer who's a Christian. I say, no, I'm a Christian who's a police officer. There's a difference. It's a difference. And I would make it clear. 
They say, yes, I was a police officer, but I'm first a Christian because Christ is in my life and I am in Christ. That's the difference. That's a lifetime. That's a title that I will carry until Christ comes or he takes me away. I am first and foremost a Christian. Being a police, a police officer did not define who I was. It was not my life. It was my job. It was my career. And so, like Paul, he would say, he would say, I magnify my ministry. My ministry was as a Christian and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And towards the end of my career, I would tell you, people would say, so, you know, what are you? I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. You know, I'm a Christian first. And I said, yeah, what do you want? I pastor a church. And then later on, the last, if I, if I have time, I said, yeah, I was a police officer. And when I was working, my coworkers, they, you know, say, oh, yeah, so you're a pastor. They know I was a pastor. That was the first thing. It didn't, the job didn't define who I was. The fact of who I am in Christ, that defines who I am. I'm a Christian. And so, too, I would say the same with you, whatever your trade is, whatever is your profession, whatever is your career, your life is in Christ, and Christ is in you, not your job. And yes, there are those who have placed their jobs above God. <laughs> they have placed, you know, their jobs, their careers. And God is just second whenever I can fit God in. And it's sad to say. Because we know the job is not there for a long time. The job, what does it bring? It brings stress. It brings burdens. You're, you're, you're bound to it. You know, careers change, don't they? And they never satisfy Either you're not satisfying your position or you're in your position, you're not getting paid enough. So you're never satisfied, no matter which way you look. When the time comes when you have to retire, are you still that person? No. And it's sad to say, but that, that is the case. Um, put your, your relationship with Christ. Don't magnify your title. Don't magnify your career. You know, it's different in the, in the, in, in the East. In the West, you, you introduce yourself, well, my name is so-and-so, I, I have a PhD, and I got this, and yeah, I got that, and I got all my walls, and you know, now I'm this and that. You know, it, it, that's not how it is in the East Coast, the East Coast. I'm not the East Coast of the Middle East, I'm sorry. In the Middle East, they say, well, my name is so-and-so, I'm the son of. You find that in the scriptures, I'm the son of. My great-great-grandfather is this. They'll let you know where they came from, because that's who they are. Here in the West, we, it's all about... In order to define who you are is your titles, your credentials, your success. And I think, you know, we, we as Christians shouldn't fall into that. Because you know how many doors are open if people will know who's in you, Christ, than what you do? It's a big difference. You have the opportunity to share the gospel. So what do you mean? Because that's foreign to our culture in the West. I didn't ask if you were Christians. I didn't ask for your religion. Well, I'm giving it to you because that's who I am. That's the first thing. And so Paul magnified his ministry. And I think the, the main reason why Paul magnified his ministry to the Gentiles, what? To provoke his fellow Jews, his fellow brethren to jealousy. And you remember when we study the book of Acts, you find Paul, where did he go? Whenever he went to a city, he went to the synagogue first. And then there was a time where, you know what? He said, okay, I've given up on you guys. Not that he have. <laughs> he never did. But he, he just left. And guess what? Right next to the synagogue, he goes into and starts a Bible study. And everybody gets saved, even the rabbi from the church, for the synagogue. <laughs> Provoked them to jealousy. And they hated Paul because of that. Because he was a Jew. What is a Jew speaking about a Gentile God? 
Especially now he was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was one of us. But he wasn't just one of us. He was the very few Pharisees that we have. So he's doing it to provoke them to jealousy. And though Paul was an apostle, he had a fervent desire for the Jews, his fellow brethren. As a matter of fact, he wished himself a curse that they may come to know Christ. Back in Romans chapter 3, verse 3. This is um, chapter 9, verse 3. I'm sorry. Back in Romans chapter 9, verse 3. He said, for I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Verse 15. Romans Romans chapter 11, verse 15. Sorry. Verse 15. He says, for if they being cast away, speaking of the Jews, is reconciling of the world... What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? In other words, Israel being cast away meant that Gentiles now could be reconciled with God. That's a good thing. This stupor that God has put on the Jews, guess what? He's going to make them jealous. But now, because of that, now the Gentiles can come in. And now we can reconcile with God. And we could have salvation. Because you see, the world is at war with God. You see it now. You see it now. Even more so now as we get to the last days. The world is at war with God. And every single one of you here who accepted Christ as Lord and personal Savior before your BC days, before Christ, before you accepted him, guess what? You were at war with God. And you're going to say, well, I didn't have a gun and shoot it at pointed to heaven but your mind everything your life was at enmity with God and Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 he says and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works you were enemies yet now he has reconciled now we reconcile with God we have reconciled with, yes, Lord, I've given up this battle. It's a battle I don't even know why I've picked in the first place because I can't win. I can't beat you, Lord. But you know what? What gave in is not so much that God was fighting me back. It's that he was, while I was, my mind and my life was uh, displeasing to God. It was an abomination. You know, what does, he, what does he do instead? He loves me. And he had grace towards me. And his love and grace I just dropped on my arms and I said, you win, Lord. And so now we reconcile because why? Now uh, this blindness that had been on the Jews at this season, at this time, and now the Gentiles are now coming to know Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And because of Israel's rejection, the rest of the world can now be with the Lord and have salvation. Verse 15, for if they being cast away is reconciling of the world, what will their, he's speaking of the Jews, Israel, what will their uh, acceptance be? What would it be? But life from the dead. There's hope. The time will come. When the Jews would come into the kingdom of God as a whole, right now, there are a few Jews, Messianic Jews, those who believe in Christ as the Messiah. And I don't want to point her out, but there's this lady right here. (laughs) Go raise your hand. Robin is 100% Jew and 100% Messianic believer in Jesus Christ. There are a few, but the The nation of Israel as a whole has not accepted Yeshua, Jesus, as the Mashiach, the Messiah. The time will come. 
it will come. It will happen because it's been in prophecy. You, you, you'll see when that's going to take place. Uh, it's going to be during the great tribulation, during the millennium reign. You'll find that for homework in Revelation chapter 20, when all of Israel will be saved. And when that happens, there will be, as it says at the end of verse 15, life from the dead. Now, in verse 16, as we look at verse 16, now Paul is going to give us two illustrations that will support his assertion that Israel will be restored again. Israel will be restored in God's favor. They, there will be life from the dead. And the first illustration he's going to give us, it has to do with the fruitful, uh, the, the first fruit and the lump. The second has to do with the roots and the branches. Let us look at verse 16. Verse 16, it says, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. That's the first illustration. This illustration you'll find in many passages, uh, in uh, particular uh, in Leviticus chapter 7, Leviticus chapter 23. There's a lot of mention of the first fruits, giving God first what he has provided, what he has given you. And then also in Numbers chapter 15, which talks about the, the heave offering, the heave offering. And so for the purpose of our study, let us zoom into Numbers chapter 15, verses 20 to 21. And it says here, it's the Lord said to Israel, you shall offer up a cake of the first of your ground meal as a heave offering, as a heave offering of the threshing floor. So shall you offer it up of the first of your ground meal. You shall give to the Lord a heave offering throughout your generations. Now, the Lord has commanded the children of Israel to give to him the first fruit of the ground, the first fruit of the lump or the dough, if you will, as a heave offering. You give to him first. Give to him first. And the first fruit, you find in Leviticus, uh, you find the first fruit, you know, in Leviticus, in the book of Numbers, when they gave a portion to the Lord, when they gave a portion to the Lord, the portion amount, just to be sure, just to be sure that you won't be stingy, you would just get God a pinch. Just be sure that you won't give God too much because God wants you to survive. He loves you. He gave it all to you. It's a measure of a tenth in which we get the word tithe. Now, who provided the grain and the ground? Who provided the, the grain, uh, the dough, the lump? God did. God provided. God led them to land. They didn't have anything. God provided everything for them. Even when they went out of e when when he made it out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage from the world, God always provided all the way, water, manna, everything. And now here the Lord has provided for Israel a grain from the ground, and all God asked for, all God asked for is a portion, the first fruit of what God has given them. I'm The book of Romans gives us a unique review of scriptural doctrine. As we continue to learn from this New Testament book, we'll also discover the gospel's powerful message throughout and discover practical life application with it as well. We pray Eddie's message on running the race has been an encouragement to you and that you're eager to learn more about the gospel message and how it applies to you. We'd like you to know that we pray for you regularly here at Running the Race, and we're so glad that you are one of our listeners. 
We'd also like to encourage you to find a local church where you can be part of a community that's growing together in faith. With that in mind, here's Tracy. Maybe you're listening right now in Milford, Pennsylvania, and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. For more information, call us at 570-296-7367. That's 570-296-7367. Or log on to runningtheraceradio.com and click on service times. Thanks, Tracy. That website once again is runningtheraceradio.com. While you're there, you can also listen to more messages by Eddie or download them to take with you on the go. That's all we have for today, but join us again for more on the Book of Romans right here on Running the Race. I'm